And now, friends, it's time for us to pay a few bills. SongTrust is the world's largest technology solution for global music royalty collection and publishing administration, enabling 205,000-plus songwriters and more than 26,000 publishers to collect their publishing royalties worldwide for over 2 million copyrights. Be sure and visit songtrust.com forward slash pubcast to take advantage of a 20% off discount for a one-time registration just for listening to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. And now, friends, let's get on with the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Season 3 of the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. In this episode, we have a current conversation with David Israelite, President and CEO of the Nashville Music Publishers Association, about the victory of the Music Modernization Act, as well as ongoing challenges we continue to face in the music publishing business. David, I would love to know a little bit of your your background. I do know that you you started off as a, as an attorney, correct? Uh, yes, I'm I'm now what they call a recovered attorney. <laughs> I like that recovered attorney. What does that look like? What does a recovered attorney look like? Uh, basically, one that doesn't really practice law anymore, and and that's been the case for quite a while now for me. I'm, one of my big questions I I came up with when I was uh, just kind of doing some research on this is what. What made you become or get into the music business? I didn't know. Were you a musician at one point? Did you ever write songs? I mean, this is a big, this is a big undertaking to be the champion for songwriters and publishers. Well, I'm, I'm one of many. Um, I never would call myself a musician. I did grow up um, in a little town called Lee Summit, Missouri, which is outside of Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, played guitar and uh, joined bands when I was in uh, junior high and, and high school and had visions of becoming a rock star, but it became pretty evident pretty early that I didn't have the talent to do that. And so I pretty much gave up that path sometime in high school and since then have been just a very bad guitar player uh, for my own pleasure and no one else's. Um, the way I got into this was actually quite by accident. Um, I had a career that was in law and politics and government. And I was at the Justice Department where I was working for the Attorney General as his Deputy Chief of Staff and Chief Counselor. And this was back during the phase of time when theft of music was just the top issue in the industry. And one of my really close personal friends from before we had these jobs was a guy named Mitch Bainwall, who was the head of the RIAA. And I was seeing what he was dealing with, struggling with, with the theft of music. And I just had an idea one day and I went in and asked the attorney general if we could create a task force on intellectual property because I felt that the government wasn't doing enough to protect intellectual property in the same way it would protect other forms of property. And the attorney general, who also is a very musical guy, um, he's written songs and, and sung songs, um, immediately liked the idea. So he created a task force. He let me chair it. And for a little over a year, I ran around the country meeting with the heads of all the movie studios and record labels and software companies and just educated myself on the problem. And at the end of that process, we were changing a lot of things about how the Justice Department and the larger federal government dealt with theft of intellectual property, which, of course, music was kind of the, the, the poster child of the problem. And it was just at the time I was leaving the Justice Department that NMPA was headhunting for a new CEO. And it just was a great fit um, for both of us. And so a trade association head 
is a combination really of Washington and law and policy with the subject matter. So while I wasn't an expert in music publishing by any means, I did have some intellectual property background, but mostly I was someone who understood Washington having been a Senate chief of staff and um, someone that worked in politics and worked at the Justice Department. And, and that's how this career path started 14 years ago. The industry as a whole has a, t a challenge of trying to unify its voice. Granted, there's just everybody kind of has a different reason for different things of trying to get paid, you know, between the record labels, the publishers, and and how and the songwriters and how that all interacts. And I was sitting at a, a put together thing when ringtones got big, and I remember sitting at this panel. And the one thing I kept hearing from from the people wanting to use our music is, is not that they didn't necessarily want to pay us, but that they just didn't know how. To get licensed like who do i need to go to where is a clearinghouse and again this would have been in that same period of time or late 90s early 2000s and i remember in my head as a young i was a been a, a young plugger back then thinking how hard could this be to put these databases together like what well, we have them everybody has a database how can we not unify these databases and now currently it seems like we're finally moving into that direction of, of getting that going so uh, with the the MMA and then um, starting the MLC. Can you kind of give us a, I realize there's a lot going on, but can you give us a little bit of background of where we're at currently with, with all of that and uh, as it stands? Sure. Um, and, and let me comment on, on, on what you were saying about the problem, because one of the things that struck me when I got into this job that I had never appreciated before, even with the background that I had, was just how difficult a problem this was. I don't think people mostly think about this a lot, but in music, it is unique. It is unlike other forms of copyright, of intellectual property. Um, because to license music, you have to deal with two separate owners, one the owner of the sound recording, often a record label, and one the owner of the composition, often a publisher or representing the songwriter, a publisher, and those are not connected. Um, you know, for example, in the movie business, um, you know, all the rights get bundled together and you're dealing with individual transactions for a movie, let's say, or a book or a video game. But in music, you have these separated processes and then you further separate it when you get into the publishing part because you have fractional ownership and because of the way that the government regulates our rights, we call our copyright different things based on the type of usage and it gets licensed in different ways. And so if it's a mechanical reproduction, that matters because it's regulated by law. If it's a public performance, that matters because a large chunk of the industry is regulated by consent decree. It would be simple if we just called it a, a musical composition or a song and had a single licensing exercise. But because of the way the government regulates us, both through a 1909 compulsory license and a 1941 consent decree, we're forced to split it up into different pieces with fractional owners. And so you put that all together, and then you combine that with the problem of a little self-criticism for us, which is we're not very good at helping people license our music, or at least we haven't been. And you can understand then why the problem got so bad and is so big is because of all those factors put together. Um, one of the things that I really am proud of with regard to the Music Modernization Act 
is it gave us an opportunity to do something about this in a way that we have never been able to do it before. There have been attempts to build databases before. They have failed. There are databases that exist today, but they are private, they are proprietary, they are confidential. What the MMA is going to do for the first time is create a public, transparent database, and the magic of it is it is funded 100% by the digital companies that will license our music, yet it will be owned and operated 100% by the music publishers and songwriters that create and represent the copyrights. And even though this database will be for mechanical reproductions in Section 115, and you can't legally rely on it for other types of right licensing, it will become the roadmap for how you find the proper owners, I think, for all uses of songs and music. And I'm really excited about that prospect because I think we figured out a way to do this in a way that the past efforts had failed. Agreed. That's uh, probably... Again, as just a, even being in the business all this time, it just seems like a simple solution that should have been able to be handled. But as you clarify, there are just a lot of moving parts. And then nobody's been in a sharing mood, it typically seems. And, and I think, uh, I'll be honest, on, on the business side, as a, I've always been a tech-friendly person, enjoyed that. And even when going back, don't get in the weeds too much. And when Napster was around, I'm like, why would we sue somebody that has 30 million users? Why don't we license it? Why do we do that? And we have a tendency as a music business to operate out of fear. That's I think personally, that's in my opinion, and uh, tend to not join hands and work together. And this seems like the first time in as many years as I can think of that we've been starting to do that. However, we do have some problems or some challenges in that. It started off, if you, you can touch on, I know Blackstone had a move in there, and now we're dealing with Spotify challenging and appealing, and Amazon as well. Um, if you can touch on some of like where we're at currently with those challenges that we're looking at, and, and, and how do you feel that these might be starting to get resolved, if they are getting resolved? Sure. So the legislation that is the Music Modernization Act really ended up becoming an exercise and everyone working together to get it done. Um, and there were bumps along the way, but at the end, you had four key constituency groups that aligned in wanting to pass this legislation. The first was our industry, the publishing and songwriting industry, and that's a diverse group. You had publishers, writer groups, PROs, um, not all with exactly the same interests, but that one industry came together on the bill. The second was the record labels and artists, again, diverse, majors and indies, artist groups, label groups, unions, sound exchange, they came together. Third was the digital companies, and that's because they needed this. Um, they had a problem. They weren't able to license properly, and this legislation would solve that problem for them. And then finally, the broadcasters, which any legislation that touches upon the music industry or copyright, the broadcasters are going to be involved. And if they're against it, it's going to be very hard, if not impossible, to pass something. And so those four groups came together. And even though the bill passed unanimously in both the Senate and the House, which is a miracle, it came close to not passing. People don't understand that, that how could a unanimous voted bill actually have not possibly passed? And we came down to the wire in terms of getting that done. And once it came together, then it was a smooth vote. But up until the very last minutes, um, the compromises were not done. 
Separate from the legislation, though, I had hoped that working together with the digital companies might provide an opportunity for us to redefine our working relationship on other things, too. Um, we need to be business partners. We need each other. And we worked together on the legislation, and maybe that would become the template for how we could work through other problems as well. I am very disappointed that that has turned out not to be the case. Um, the legislation, it turns out, was a moment in time where everyone's self-interest aligned. And now we are back probably even worse than before with everybody's self-interest being in conflict and us having a tremendous amount of tension. And it's driven by a couple of different things, but one of the things that is at the top of the list has to do with the most recent decision of the Copyright Royalty Board. And so separate from the MMA, and many people confuse these two issues. They think the CRB rates somehow are tied to the Music Modernization uh, Act's legislation, and they're not. The MMA does change the rules for the next CRB, but it had nothing to do with the previous CRB where the decision had come out in January of 2018, where NMPA and NSAI on one side of the courtroom against the five biggest streaming companies, Google, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Pandora, with a two-year trial. <clears throat> we spent tens of millions of dollars on that trial. And at the end, the court gave us a decision that raised our rates by, at a minimum, 44.1%. It was a tremendous victory for songwriters and music publishers. And when the legislation passed, um, then after that fact, that was in October of last year, it wasn't until March of this year that the digital companies were given a 30-day window to appeal that ruling. And on the last day of the 30 days, at the end of the day, driven by Spotify and Amazon, they decided to appeal the decision. It's the first time that a copyright royalty board decision for publishers and songwriters had been appealed. And now that means that our important rate increase, only the second meaningful rate increase in 110 years, is now back into the court system for a, an appeal, and it is in jeopardy um, because of the decision by the digital companies to do this. And so that has become an extreme friction point. At the same time that that's going on, we're also fighting about how to implement the Music Modernization Act. Um, we worked together to pass the bill, and it is clear that the groups who came up with the concept, passed the bill, are now the ones best positioned to actually implement the bill with regard to how the new license structure will work. And yet the digital companies we find are um, in a position of extreme friction over working cooperatively to make that work smoothly. And so it looks like that's going to be a fight over how it's funded, um, whether we're working together on the choice of vendors and things like that, um, even in the selection of our, our bid to become the Mechanical Licensing Collective, um, where the digital companies are kind of sitting on the sideline because they're trying to use that as leverage to make it cheaper, which is what's in their interest, whereas in our interest, it's to do it well. Um, and then you have a couple of other flashpoints um, with the digital companies, whether it be what Spotify did in India or um, their approach to the Justice Department and these consent decrees, which we can get into. And so we find ourselves in a moment in time today where we're probably more at odds with the digital companies than ever before, even though 
we worked together to pass this historic bill. One of the questions that comes up in my mind as, as I'm hearing you go through this is, why would, and maybe you don't have the answer, but what is Spotify, how can they even say after working together with us, like now they want to challenge it? I just don't understand their stance currently on, other than, I guess, just cheaper rates. Is that basically what they're trying to do? Is that their whole play on this? Is they're just trying to have cheaper rates? I mean, in a nutshell, yes. Um, since I started in this job, you know, 14 years ago, people, anyone who's ever paid any attention to NMPA or, or what I've done, it all generally comes back to the same theme, which is how incredibly unfair I think it is that the government sets prices for basically 75% of our industry, and we have no ability to say no. Um, it's a compulsory license, whether it's through the mechanical compulsory or the consent decrees over ASCAP and BMI. Judges set our value of our property, and we can't say no. And one of the reasons why I think that is such an unhealthy system is because what should be a business partnership, which is we produce a product, someone else wants to deliver that product or enhance that product or use that product, and you negotiate a price together. That's how a good deal of the economy works. And you have to value each other's relationship. In the case of songwriters and music publishers, when a company like Spotify mostly doesn't need to be a business partner because they can extract the property right without our permission, whether we like it or not. It creates an attitude that somehow they're not our business partner and that they don't need to be concerned about the relationship and that they can do everything in their power to just try to squeeze the price down knowing that we have no recourse against that. And I think that's what's going on here. I think that the appeal was something they looked at and said, well, yeah, the writers and publishers are going to be really pissed off, but so what? What are they going to do about it? When all we really care about is what percent of our revenue do we have to pay out for content? And of course, with record labels and artists, that's a negotiation. So we have to be more concerned about that relationship because they actually could say no. But for the publishers and writers, they have no say. And so I think the appeal is based exactly in a desire to lower prices, regardless of whether or not that leads to a bad relationship, um, whether that leads to a healthy ecosystem for the writers that create the music that make their business even possible. They just don't seem to care. And we find ourselves with not a lot of leverage points over what to do about it, although the ones that we do have are ones that we intend to use forcefully. You just put it this way. We're always at battle. We're going to continue to battle and we have to continue to make our voices heard. And, and uh, again, uh, the hornet's nest has indeed been hit. And I think more of us are really paying attention, and particularly the hit writers. And Taylor Swift has been vocal. Other artists, I hope, would join her in that 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 um that fight as well to just let them know that it's not fair because we obviously still have a lot of mountains to climb and and wars to fight on this. There's been another recent thing that I watched your uh, video on MSNBC. Peloton now has become a problem. And uh, if, if you're okay, can we uh, discuss a little bit of that? Because that's new to me. I, I just was made aware of that in the last couple of weeks that uh, they had not been paying licenses on music for their devices they have, their bikes and their service. What What's going on in that current situation? Sure. I'm happy to talk about Peloton. It's one of the most um, 
inexplicable situations that I've come across in my time. Um, we've dealt with a lot of people that um, just want to steal music, um, build businesses off the backs of music and not pay. Um, what we have here is a situation where the company clearly understood that they needed licenses to use the music in their programming. And in fact, they went out and negotiated licenses with many publishers, large ones and some independent ones. They're in complete control over creating their programming that they pipe in to the homes on the bikes. And yet after acknowledging that they need licenses, getting some of the licenses they needed, they then created a bunch of programming that included songs they didn't have licenses for. Then, even more inexplicable, is that when they were hit with a cease and desist notice from us, they still kept doing it. And finally, as we always do, when we gave them an opportunity to try to correct the mistakes and work together going forward, their response wasn't adequate, which forced us to then file the suit on behalf of several uh, significant independent publishers whose music was being used without permission. This is a company that wants to go public, has a very large valuation number, and they make a great product. I actually love their bike. I love yeah. um, everything about what they're doing other than how they seem to have just purposefully produced programming without proper licenses, and they have no defense. It's not like this is a gray area, or they could argue that somehow they don't need the licenses. Um, I can't explain what they were thinking. And um, they're caught basically just dead to rights. And uh, I'm hopeful that it's a lesson for any other tech company that grows very fast and finds itself being very successful early, that this is an area not to ignore. If you are using music in your company, then do it right, because it's much easier to do it right at the beginning than it is to end up where Peloton is, which is with a significant lawsuit against it. Well, David, again, I really am super appreciative of your time. I know you're a busy man. It means a lot that you would take the time to sit and talk to us here at the AIMP Pubcast and, and, and take that part of your day. And thanks again so much for all your efforts and work and diligently pursuing and being a, a warrior for the team, man. We thank you so much. No, I appreciate you having me, and I appreciate all that you do. And, you know, almost every member of AIMP is also a member of NMPA. And if you are a member of AIMP and you're not a member of NMPA, uh, you need to fix that. Not only are you costing yourselves money, but uh, you're not part of the team that's protecting your rights. And so we welcome all publishers to be our members, and, and, and I appreciate everything you're doing by spreading the word. So thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. We hope you subscribe in your favorite podcast platform and follow us at AIMP Nashville to stay up to date and informed in the world of music publishing and songwriting. The AIMP Nashville Pubcast is created by executive producers Del Bobo and yours truly, Tim Hunsey, producer Brandon Harrington, mixing and editing by Casey Porter. Thanks again for listening and supporting the AIMP Nashville Pubcast.